Hello, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance. Uh, welcome aboard. So, um, the second debate, big debate last night. We're going to play a bit of a clip and then I'll talk about the implications of it as I see it. So, starting with um, probably about a, an hour and 20 into the uh, thing, maybe not that, maybe about an hour in. And it's a question on race. I want to talk about the way black and brown Americans experience race in this country. Part of that experience is something called the talk. It happens regardless of class and income. Parents who feel they have no choice but to prepare their children for the chance that they could be targeted, including by the police, for no reason other than the color of their skin. Mr. Vice President, in the next two minutes, I want you to speak directly to these families. Do you understand why these parents fear for their children? I do. I do. You know, my daughter is a social worker, and uh, she's all, she's written a lot about this. She has a graduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania in social work. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I ended up working on the east side of Wilmington, Delaware, which is 90% African-American, was to learn more about what was going on. What I didn't, I never had to tell my daughter, if she's pulled over, make sure she puts, for a, a traffic stop, put both hands on top of the wheel and don't reach for the glove box because someone may shoot you. But a black parent, no matter how wealthy or how poor they are, has to teach their child when you're walking down the street, don't have a hoodie on when you go across the street. Making sure that you, in fact, if you get pulled over, just yes, sir, no, sir, hands on top of the wheel, because you are, in fact, the victim, whether you're a person making 300000 child of a $300,000 a year person or someone who's on, on, on food stamps. The fact of the matter is there is institutional racism in America. And we have always said, we've never lived up to it, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal. But guess what? We have never, ever lived up to it, but we've always constantly been moving the needle further and further to inclusion, not exclusion. This is the first president to come along and says, that's the end of that. We're not going to do that anymore. We have to provide for economic opportunity, better education, better health care, better access to schooling, better access to opportunity to borrow money to start businesses. All the things we can do, and I've laid out a clear plan as to how to do those things just to give people a shot. It's about accumulating the ability to have wealth as well as it is to be free from violence. President Trump, same question to you, and let me remind you of the question. I would like you to speak directly to these families. Do you understand why these parents fear for their children? Yes, I do. And again, he's been in government 47 years. He never did a thing except in 1994 when he did such harm to the black community. And they were called, and he called them super predators. And he said that, he said it, super predators. And they have never lived that down. 1994, your crime bill, the super predators. Nobody has done more for the black community than Donald Trump. And if you look, with the exception of Abraham Lincoln, possible exception, but the exception of Abraham Lincoln, nobody has done what I've done. Criminal justice reform. Obama and Joe didn't do it. I don't even think they tried because they had no chance at doing it. They might have wanted to do it, but if you had to see the arms I had to twist to get that done, 
It was not a pretty picture, and everybody knows it, including some very liberal people that cried in my office. They cried in the Oval Office. Two weeks later, they're out saying, gee, we have to defeat him. Criminal justice reform, prison reform, opportunity zones with Tim Scott, a great senator from South Carolina. He came in with this incredible idea for opportunity zones. It's one of the most successful programs. People don't talk about it. Tremendous investment is being made. Biggest beneficiary, the black and Hispanic communities, and then historically black colleges and universities. After three years of coming to the office, I love some of those guys. They were great. They came into the office and they said, I said, what are you doing? After three years, I said, why do you keep coming back? Because we have no funding. I said, you don't have to come back every year. We have to come back because President Obama would never give them long-term funding. And I did. Ten-year long-term funding. And I gave them more money than they asked for because they said, I think you need more. And I said, the only bad part about this is I may never see you again because I got very friendly with them and they like me and I like them. But I saved it. Colleges and universities. Okay. And we're going to talk about both of your records, but your response to that, Vice President. My response to that is I never, ever said what he accused me of saying. The fact of the matter is in 2000, though, after the crime bill had been in, 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 in the law for a while, this is a guy who said, with the problem with the crime bill, there's not enough people in jail. There's not enough people in jail. And go on my website, get the quote, the date, when he said it. Not enough people. He talked about marauding gangs, young gangs, and the people who are going to maraud our cities. This is a guy who, in the Central Park Five, five innocent black kids, he continued to push for making sure that they got the death penalty. None of them were, none of them were guilty of what the crime, of the crimes they were suggested. Look, and talk about, he, granted, he did, in fact, let... 20 people, he commuted 20 people sentences. We commuted over a thousand people sentences. Over a thousand. The very law he's talking about is the law that, in fact, initiated by Barack Obama. And secondly, we're in a situation here where we, the federal prison system was reduced by 38,000 people under our administration. And one of these things we should be doing, there should be no, no minimum mandatories in the law. That's why I'm offering $20 billion to states to change their state laws to eliminate minimum mandatories and set up drug courts. No one should be going to jail because they have a drug problem. They should be going to rehabilitation, not to jail. We should fundamentally change the system, and that's what I'm going to do. But why didn't he do it four years ago? Why didn't you do that four years ago, even less than that? Why didn't you? I am you were vice president. You keep talking about all these things you're going to do and you're going to do this. But you were there just a short time ago and you guys did nothing. We did. You know, Joe, I, I ran because of you. I ran because of Barack Obama, because you did a poor job. If I thought you did a good job, I would have never run. I would have never run. I ran because of you. I'm looking at you now. You're a politician. I ran because of you. All right, Vice President Biden, your response to that, and then I do have some yeah. questions for both of you. Well, I tell you what, I uh, I hope he does look at me because what's happening here is, you know who I am, you know who he is, you know his character, you know my character, you know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. I am anxious to have this race. I am anxious to see this take place. I am character of the country is on the ballot. Our character is on the ballot. Look at us closely. Let me ask some follow me. Please respond if and then we're going to have follow-up. this is true questions. about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true, 
then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody's hey, President Trump, I want to stay hell. on the issue of race. We're talking about the issue. from hell. President Trump, Nobody. we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you know, I have just... to respond to that. Please. Because look, Very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the care four five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gialli. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what... Is this where you're exactly going? What this is told. where he's going. The that, laptop right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Gentlemen, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay. okay, so that's <laughs> really good. Oh, it's so entertaining, isn't it? Um, Russia, Russia, Russia. <laughs> okay, a few things there, okay? First of all... Um, I think that Trump was quite effective yesterday by saying he's been around for 47 years. He was eight years as vice president only a couple of years ago. And you keep saying you want to do all these things, but why haven't you done it so far? He's the politician and I'm, you know, not a politician. He said that repeatedly, he kept coming back to that line of attack, which I think is the line of attack that he, you know, should have been doing all along. We're now two weeks away from the end of this thing, so I'm not too sure. Well, I don't think it will have any impact, actually, um, because Trump is so so buried and it wasn't that effective because of um, what's his name's, you know, Biden's reply. You start to talk about character. Biden says, OK, everybody knows us too. You know, who are you going to trust? Who's the person that tells the truth? Who's the person with the better character? There's no competition, obviously. Remember that Trump has never been, um, uh, you know, above 50%. He's been always uh, disliked more than liked throughout his presidency, apart from his first week, the week after his um, inauguration in January 2017. Then it was south from there, and it's still south. And most of the time, it's like the, uh, you know, 42, hanging around 42 I've argued throughout that he's always going to have 40%, but you don't win elections with 40%. So if you turn it into a character debate between Trump and Biden, then Biden is going to come out tops there. And then he doubled down, Trump. He doubled down and he said, oh, well, hold on a minute. What about these, um, you know, the fucking laptop, this stupid Hunter Biden story? And it gave Biden the opportunity to say five previous, uh, you know, people that ran the um, CIA have come out and said that this is Russian disinformation. 50 um, national intelligence people saying the same thing. So, and then of course he just, you know, goes nuts. <laughs> uh, Trump, he doesn't have any response to that. So Russia, 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 let's pick it up. 
to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Mr. Here we President, go again with Russia. We're going to continue Boy, on the issue of race. Mr. President, you've described one. the Black Lives Matter movement as a symbol of hate. You've shared a video of a man chanting white power to millions of your supporters. You've said that black professional athletes exercising their First Amendment rights should be fired. What do you say to Americans who say that kind of language from a president is contributing to a climate of hate and racial strife? Well, you have to understand, the first time I ever heard of Black Lives Matter, they were chanting, pigs in a blanket, talking about police. Pigs, pigs, talking about our police. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. I said, that's a horrible thing. And they were marching down the street. And that was my first... Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. <laughs> a glimpse of Black Lives Matter. I thought it was a terrible thing. As far as uh, my relationships with all people, I think I have great relationships with all people. I am the least racist person in this room. Well, what do you say to Americans <laughs> who are concerned by that rhetoric? I don't, know, I mean, I don't know what to say. I got criminal justice reform done and prison reform and opportunity zones. I took care of black colleges and universities. I don't know what to say. They can say anything. I mean, they can say anything. It's a very, it makes me sad because I am, I, I am the least racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark, but I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. Okay, Vice President Biden, Abraham. let me ask you very quickly and then I have a follow-up question for you. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire. Every single one. Started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He has moved around and made everything worse across the board. He says to them about the poor boys, last time we were on stage here, he said, I told him to stand down and stand ready. Come on. This guy has a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. That's a nice line there. Nice line from Biden at the end. This guy's got a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. But um, I like the way that Trump only pulls the uh, pours the fuel on the racist fires. That's nice, isn't it? Fucking racist fire. Anyway, there we go. So that is um, that showed them at their best. It also showed them. I think is a good kind of example of where they were at yesterday. But so Trump, as you can tell, you know, just from that little uh, extract, Trump was a lot more focused this time. But, you know, I, I think Biden won the debate. The snap polls show that Biden won the debate. It was very different. It was an actual debate. You know, it was very different. But of course, you've all it's a debate with Donald Trump. So it's in that kind of context, if you like, of you know, fucking whining and complaining and trying to get off the subject and all the rest of it reminded me of um, both Farage and uh, Boris Sausage Johnson a lot, Trump, yesterday. Um, a, a far more kind of on it and direct than, um, than um, fucking Sausage Johnson, who's all over the place. Doesn't fucking say alas every second. But, um, you know, will it change anything? Well, I'm not sure it will change anything, partly because uh, Biden ended extremely strongly. Get a listen to this. So this is the last question of the debate. And the question is, what will you say in your inauguration speech, inauguration speech, 
to those that didn't vote for you. And when Trump answered it, by the way, he just started complaining about... I mean, it would have been the weirdest inauguration speech because you just started complaining about Biden, you know. Anyway, here's Biden. This is the last thing that happened in the evening, and I think it um, leaves the viewers with a very strong impression. Vice President Biden, same question to you. What will you say during your inaugural address to Americans who did not vote for you? I will say I'm an American president. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. And I'm going to make sure that you're represented. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities, enormous opportunities to make things better. We can grow this economy. We can deal with the systemic racism. And at the same time, we can make sure that our economy is being run and moved and motivated by clean energy, creating millions of new jobs. And that's the fact. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to say, as I said at the beginning, what is on the ballot here is the character of this country. Decency, honor, respect, treating people with dignity, making sure that everyone has an even chance. And I'm going to make sure you get that. You haven't been getting it the last four years. All right. I want to thank you both. Yeah, not bad at all, eh? That's not bad at all. There's a lot packed in there. They only had a minute there. And that is focused. It's really good. He came away from the uh, debate a couple of... from the um, campaign trailer for a couple of days at the beginning of this week. And you can see that it's paid dividends. Um, So what does it mean? Well, we're 11 days away from Tuesday the 3rd. Millions of people have already voted. Um, So that means that... Really, this is the last um, opportunity that Trump had because he is still doing his rallies. But I really don't think that anybody is going to be who's not convinced now is going to be convinced of a Trump rally, you know. Um, So I don't think that it was big enough win for. Well, I don't think uh, Trump won. He didn't uh, do what he had to do. The momentum is with Biden because he's just up so much in so many of the states that he needs to win. And Trump's hill is very steep. It's a steep hill that he's got to climb. Uh, So also one other thing, which is it's incredible. It's true. You can look it up and it's been kind of lost in the weeds, unbelievably. Um... One in a thousand African-Americans have died from COVID-19. One in a thousand. It is an absolutely astonishing statistic, that. An astonishing statistic. And that fucker is saying, well, maybe Lincoln, maybe, maybe I'll give it to Lincoln. Maybe he's been better for black Americans than me. But apart from Lincoln, now maybe Lincoln, but apart from Lincoln, it's me. What a fucking prick. I mean, one in a thousand. One in a thousand. It's extraordinary. He has let down. I mean, well, you know, you know what I think of the guy. So, and from the debate point of view, um, he did not do enough. A 
Approximately 45,000 African Americans have died from COVID-19 so far. So where are we with the with the voting? Well, it looks like people are now starting to take seriously the possibility of Texas being won by Joe Biden. Um, 70% of the votes uh, the Texas cast in 2016 have already been cast and there are now predictions coming out by mainly this guy Michael McDonald who runs this thing that I've been talking about the last couple of episodes um, the um, electoral project which is definitely worth checking out um, and he's like an academic you know he just kind of runs it as a free service it's on a budget you can tell from the website that it's like a kind of academic endeavor it's a hobby essentially um but you know fantastically useful uh and ma- like very widely uh used uh, statistics coming out of that that um endeavor um but also 538 so so mcdonald is saying uh that he reckons 150 million people are going to vote which will be the highest since 1908, highest for you know over 100 years, obviously. 538 are thinking it's about going to be about 153 million. So it looks like it's going to be a huge. Well, I mean, we know, we know, obviously, we've got 11 days still, you know. So we know that it's going to be a huge turnout. It already is. An unprecedented number of people have voted this early on. Part of it is COVID, obviously, but you can't kind of keep denying the idea that Trump has gone toxic. But as well as that, there is the shy Trump voter. And so we'll no- we won't know the results, obviously, until we know the results, you know. Um, and I'm sticking with my forecast at the moment. 334 for Biden. I don't think that Biden will win Texas, even though people that know Texas and know politics far better than me are now saying it might be on the cards, including James Carville, who's that very charismatic, slightly nuts um, advisor that um, Bill Clinton had. had. Do you remember that guy? James Carville is saying that um, Biden might get Texas and, you know, Carville, (laughs) do you know what I mean? He should fucking know, you know. But I'm not um, as optimistic as Carville and I'm not putting it in, you know, I don't think Biden's going to get it, frankly. I don't think Biden's going to get Ohio. don't think Biden's going to get Georgia. Um, But, you know, it is looking really, really good for Biden. And it comes back to this debate, you know, you've had 47 years, you've had four years, okay, or eight years as vice president, okay, that is a line of attack, you know, but too much of the time he was just talking about, like, obvious bullshit Trump, so he wasted his opportunity, when all is said and done, he wasted his opportunity, and there may be that there was nothing that he could do, and there's nothing that anybody could have done, you know, this far late in the game, because usually... Um, you know, the third, which would have been the third if he had, hadn't cancelled this, the one in the middle, you know. So the last uh, elect, the last debate 
is usually not this close to election day. So we're really, you know, running out of time, basically. Um, I'm not convinced that it's over because it's 2020, you know. I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing um, for the election until uh, November the 3rd. I don't know what could happen. Hopefully Biden doesn't get ill, you know. Um, but he's on the front foot. You know, Trump is doing a, a rally at the moment. And that's not news, really. You know, that's kind of old. I mean, it looks like marginally impressive, I suppose. But also, uh, it doesn't convince anyone that's not being convinced by him already. And he needs to change minds. He needs to change the minds of millions and millions of people. And more people are having their minds changed every day. Um, you know, and voting, you know, every day, obviously. And, um, you know, Biden is on the front foot. He's done a speech just now looking at his plan to defeat COVID-19 and it's filled, it's very well crafted speech filled with, uh, you know, attacks on Trump, obviously, and Trump's response and, you know, I mean, fucking hell, the guy's got blood on his hands, Trump, do you know what I mean? It's unbelievable the amount of death, 20% of the deaths in the world 4% of the population in the world. Um, obviously, you know, one in a thousand African-Americans have died. It's just extraordinary. And, you know, what does he say? He says, Trump says, we're learning to live with it. And Biden's answer to that is, no, we're not. We're learning to die from it. So, you know, there we go. I think that if Biden can make it as as much about COVID-19 as possible, the more people are going to come into his column. So, right, where are we with the polls then? This is 538's polling average. I like them because they weigh, they kind of look at the integrity of the poll, basically, you know, so some fucking internet, you know, stupid polling company that doesn't have the experience or don't know what the fuck they're doing with the data is obviously not weighted as much as something, you know, a polling company that does know what they're doing. So here we go. Going down, let's just put it in... Uh, I'll read Biden's first, and then at the end I'll read Trump. Get this. Arizona, Biden, um, plus three and a half. Florida, Biden, plus 3.3. Georgia, Biden, plus 0.9. Iowa, Biden... 1.1, exactly. Michigan, Biden, 7.5. Nevada, Biden, 6.6. North Carolina, Biden, 2.9. Pennsylvania, Biden, 6.2. Wisconsin, Biden, 6.6. So Biden only needs to win Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And 11 days out, he is at up 7.5 up 6.2 and up 6.6 in those three. If you account for the racist uh, suppression of the black and minority ethnic vote, which basically lobs off at least one percentage point, uh, and maybe even two percentage points, people try to work these things out and you never can tell, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of black people's votes are discounted 
Like it's just a kind of built into the system, obvious racist suppression of the vote. So you've got to knock all of those points down by at least one, maybe even two. But even if you do that, and even if you take into account that, I don't know, maybe some people are fucking impressed that, oh yeah, I didn't realise that, you know, Joe Biden had a whole career in uh, the Senate before he became vice president. Oh no, I'm not going to vote for him. You know, and that, and even if you're like super generous towards Trump in some fucking fantasy land, he's got a lot to do to secure those three. And Biden only needs to win those three. And of course, he's up in another one, two, three, four, five states at the moment. I think he's going to get Florida and Arizona. I don't think he's going to get Georgia or Iowa. I think he will get Nevada and North Carolina. North Carolina is close. Well, they're all close, obviously. But um, he doesn't need them all. He just needs three. And on the Trump side, Ohio, Trump up one. Texas, Trump up half a percent. Half a percent. If he wins, if Biden wins Texas, it is all over. If Biden wins Texas, we're looking at, uh, you know, a victory, the likes of which we haven't seen since LJB. Um, LJB? LBJ. <laughs> um, JCB. <laughs> in, um, in the 60s, in 64, yeah? Where he got something like 400 and, I don't know, was, he swept the board. So, you know... I don't think he's going to get Texas, but it's fucking close in Texas. It is close in Texas. Um, yeah, so there we go. Really interesting. Quite a lot of, um, you know, days to go in terms of the, you know, what could happen. Because I do think we are going to get something which may disrupt this. But then again, you know, it's been an incredibly steady race. So, so maybe I'm wrong. So just over 20,000 cases um, today, confirmed cases, but that's 38,000 symptomatic people um, today on the Zoe app, so it's getting nowhere near, The, the confirmed cases is nowhere near, it's just picking up, you know, just over half of the actual cases of symptomatic people and then you can add on another 20% at least of the asymptomatic people who are still infected and still shedding the fucking thing Um, and we're looking at 470,000 people now in the UK walking around with well hopefully you know 
walking around their little fucking bedroom with the window open with COVID-19. Um, so what does that mean? Well, it means that it's going up everywhere. It's going up sharply in lots of places, including the southwest. A uh, relatively small number of cases still compared to, you know, the north of England, for instance, you know, Yorkshire, the northeast, the northwest, and um, other parts of the United Kingdom. Uh, nevertheless, you know, it's going up everywhere. And I've had to uh, make arrangements based on medical advice to stop going into work. I don't know for how long, but it's becoming too risky. Um, so I've stopped that at the moment. It does, uh, this, so there is half term, so we'll have to see the effect of half term on these figures. Um, you know, half term starts, well, tonight, yes. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see. But without, as John Edmonds said so eloquently, without, uh, you know, circuit break of at least two weeks, the R is just going to keep going up. The R is the highest in the southwest. 5% more cases to 9% more cases every single day. So every single day. So, you know, in the worst, in the best case scenario with that, with the R, that, but of course it's going to go up, you know, the R, because that's the nature of this, you know. Um, but the best case scenario is that the cases double in 20 days. The worst case is that it doubles in around about 10 days, yeah? So it's not going anywhere, COVID-19. We have got a, uh, a government that is incompetent, a criminally incompetent, absolutely criminally incompetent. And Keir Starmer should take a leaf out of old Biden's book. I know Biden's going for a fucking election, but Biden on his plan to beat COVID was uh, there in a kind of auditorium. What happens in the theatres when performances stop being played? Well, fucking politicians turn up with a beautiful backdrop of, um, of, of headlines, like COVID-19 headlines, all across the backdrop. You know, I mean, it was a, quite a striking image, graphs and all that, all that fucking jazz. So, um, you know, Starmer should do a bit of that. Do you know what I mean? Not, let, not just one press con conference and then you never hear from the fucker again. Do a press conference a week, yeah? Um, Independent Sage are kind of in that role in that they're, they're giving advice to, you know, the public at large, but also kind of, you know, the um, shadow education secretary was, um, or spokesperson, I should say, was, um, you know, kind of asking a question at today's briefing. And um, it's all looking bad. Test and Trace has never been worse than it is now. And, you know, we need to kind of change things up. By the way, if you're interested in schools and the impact that schools are having on this, and I know a lot of my listeners are in the UK, then seek out Independent Sage's um, briefing today this afternoon. Just type in Independent Sage into YouTube and go to today's video. What is it? The 23rd today, yeah? Yeah, 23rd. So, yeah, there we go. Now, I'm going to call it a night. What shall I think about today? Let's think about a puppet. A lovely... What's your favourite 
puppet that you have to kind of wear as a glove. Like a glove, what are they called? Are they called hand puppets? They should really be called glove puppets, really. But you, we need to have a kind of nature connection, obviously. We know about this, don't we? Yes. Have you fucking picked that up yet? Um, <laughs> so let's think, maybe like, a, I don't know, a badger or something? A badger puppet? Or, I don't know, like a... Yeah, badger. Okay, let's think of the best badger you've ever seen. Oh, lovely. Think of the badger. Think of the nice... You know, wet nose, black wet nose, like a dog's nose, and the gorgeous fur, all of that. Think of it all. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Thank you ever so much for listening. Take care of yourself. Things are looking rough out there, you know. So we have to remember to check the um, data and to, you know, not take any bullshit from anyone. Assume that everyone you are in contact with has got it, like, you know, outside your fucking household. And and also, don't assume that your bosses and the people that you, you know, usually would have faith in know more about it than you do. Because if you're listening to this podcast, the chances are they know less about it. And that's not about me. It's just about the pers- the type of person that listens to a fucking podcast about COVID-19. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, there's a lot of information that we impart. But also, if you found this podcast, then you, you are on it and you're doing the right thing. So, and just, and don't ever assume that people are going to act in the right way with regard to this. Not necessarily out of, you know, fucking mendaciousness, but people are under a massive amount of pressure Governments around the world are failing, absolutely failing, especially in the States and in the UK, where the majority of my listeners are, yeah? In some parts of the UK and in some places where I've got listeners, like, thank fuck you're not as fucked as us, you know? And in fact, I know that there's a listener in um, uh, New Zealand, at least one, lucky guy. (laughs) So anyway, um, listen... Try to take care of yourself. If you uh, are having a little break over this weekend, you know, I hope that there are moments of peace and calm. And next episode is Sunday. We know now that the omnibus thing has always been a fucking sham, isn't it? Apart from the first one. But, um, so it's not an omnibus. I called it the omnibus last week, didn't I? Yeah, that's a good joke, wasn't it? But I think I'll just go, go back to calling it an episode. And it doesn't matter about the song, just, you know. All right, lots of love. Take care. Bye. (laughs) It's like I'm uh, finishing a phone call. (laughs) Okay, bye.